Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. Those were some proper announcements, weren't they? Come on. Well, I want to begin by sharing a story today, sharing a story from when I was a teenager. I was 15 years old, and I had just given my life to Christ. I was a brand new baby believer, and I had decided at that point in my life that not only was God real, but I'd been paying attention to this feeling inside of my, inside my heart, within me, almost like a voice kind of drawing me to say, I, not only do you need to believe in me, but you need to, to follow me. In the, in, the, in the church world, I'd come to know that that description is kind of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? But I just felt like a burning was in my heart like I just kept feeling this draw that I needed to say yes to God I needed to put my belief in him so I did no more questioning no more doubting no denying and I followed him and not that long after that moment I was having a conversation maybe a few months later with with a friend of mine who knew that I had started going to church he didn't go to church and so he had a pretty honest question of me he just sort of asked me a question. He said, Tim, will you tell me about God? And he said, and why you know that he exists? Pretty honest request, question, right? Can you imagine two 15-year-olds having this moment together? Why does God give responsibility and opportunity for 15-year-olds to talk about him? Because who knows what's about to happen? And so in this moment, we had this question asked of me, and I wish I could say that I knocked it out of the park. I wish I could say that I explained to him, you know, that he needed the atonement that is only provided through the sacrificial lamb of God. I wish that I could say that I walked him through the Romans road, but I, I pretty much flopped in this moment. I, uh, I didn't know, really know what to say. I was, I was stumbled through a bunch of gibberish. I'm sure I'm confused him more than I helped him. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place. Have you ever found yourself at a loss for words to describe God. If that's you, raise your hand, right? Like, what do you say when someone says, tell me about God? That is a big question. And, and years later, I can say that now I stand in a place where I have, I'm so mature, I'm mature, right? I've matured. And I feel like I could answer that question, but here's what I know. I know that my words will always fall short no matter what I say, no matter how I try, no matter books that are written, words will always fall short to adequately describe who God is. Like he's way more, he's indescribable in some way, but that doesn't let us off the hook of that particular question. Can you tell me about God? So we are starting a series today and we are calling it a series about God, which is somewhat funny, right? Like we literally are starting a series at a church and we're going to talk about God. I mean, can you be any more down the middle, right? Like like, we, we, we do this, we're a church, it's kind of redundant, right? Church, God, but here's the deal. We know that some churches don't really always talk about God. And we're going to talk about it a little bit. I, you know, I heard a story of a woman who showed up at church for her first time in years. Uh, God had broken through in her life, provided in a miraculous way. So when she showed up to church, she was a changed person. She came in, she wanted to worship, she was expressive in her worship. She was lifting her hands, she was dancing, she was shouting out how thankful she was to God. And after service that day, the, uh, one of the pastors came over to the woman and said, hey, I'm so glad you joined us today. 
but I need to talk to you a little bit about your worship um, because the way you were worshiping, worshiping, that's not really the way we worship here. In fact, you're a little bit of a distraction to the rest of the frozen chosen sitting, standing there lifeless, right? <laughs> and, he's, and, and so, so he said, will you go home and will you pray about the proper way to, to worship? <laughs> and so she said, sure. And she goes home and she prays and she comes back the next week, but she, she did not change the way she worshiped. Same thing, passion, emotion, and the pastor came to her again. By the way, it was a youth pastor. Just saying, senior pastor was good to go. Those youth pastors. Youth pastor came to her and asked her, hey, did you, did you pray about the way you worship? And, and she said, yes, I did, pastor. I did pray. And well, what did God say to you? Well, God said, I don't know the way you're supposed to worship. I've never been to that church. That was a long joke, I know. That was a really long joke. I was getting tired telling it. Whew. So this is a series about God. This is a series about God. And here's the truth. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have God figured out. And there have been churches along the way that have got it completely wrong. And there have been churches that got it along the way that we get it right sometimes, right? But here's what I know. Is there, is there ever been a word in the history of the world more loaded than the word God? I mean, you talk about that word, the word God, is the most charged word of all time. For people throughout history, it has created all sorts of emotion. We can have great emotions, happy emotions. We can have angry emotions, right, when someone mentions God. People confused or even annoyed emotions. And I know in this room, there's probably some of us, all we have are positive vibes when it comes to God. Some of us, though, we haven't quite figured out God yet. We're still, it's, the jury's still out. We're trying to figure out what we believe. Others... You know, we have real problems with God. We have real problems with the church. Maybe you're here today, and that's where you're at, and I'm so thankful you're here. But regardless, I realize that sitting in this room, where we're at together, this is not the hotbed of controversy around God. Most of us don't have a distaste for God. We don't debate it too much. However, I know that when we walk out of this room, we feel the full weight of that word God in our life. We feel it when we make decisions about what we believe. We feel it when we, when we go to our workplace, in our community, in our schools. We feel the weight of the word God in pretty much everything we do. Around election season, we feel it. We, we feel it in every avenue of our life. So where do we begin to talk about God? The good thing is, is you can begin anywhere. God has no beginning nor no end. So we can kind of start wherever we want. But I do know this, we live in a culture where people are deconstructing faith these days. They're deconstructing God these days. There is a cultural pressure right now to minimize God because he is outdated and out of touch. That hot take, by the way, is not, it is, it's kind of so overdone, it's not even hot anymore. Right? Like everybody thinks, oh, God is, out. no, no. Here's the deal. Unfortunately, people are not taking the time to distinguish between outdated and out-of-touch people and a God who is never out-of-touch, never out-of-date, and never out-of-style. There are some people, yes, but God, never. So our changing world and culture is rapidly exposing and revealing the contrast of a life that follows God versus one who chooses a life with either no God or what is very popular these days, maybe God. 
maybe God is real. Maybe God can do this for me. We think maybe keeps us sort of in that safe zone where we don't have to choose yes or no, but it's actually a lie. It's just another way of saying you're choosing a life with no God. So for the last couple hundred years, we just have to be honest. We here, we live in America, and America has made it relatively easy to follow Jesus. Things are changing in America, though. And by historical and, if you will, world standards, it probably still is easy. But following God in today's culture, here where we live, for the first time, is costing us more than it ever has. There is something that comes with the cost of having a faith in God. We are starting to feel the weight, if you will, of God, the weight of the gospel. And we are starting to feel, to some degree, the marginalization, if you will, the blame, and being dismissed as out of touch. I know I feel it sometimes when I walk into a room and people go, oh, you're a pastor, and there's a dismissal of value there. And I know you probably feel it if you say, I'm a Christian, or I follow Jesus, and I'm not bringing this up in a whiny way. I'm not, I'm not whining or entitled that we should have more right. That's not what this is about. This isn't about complaining about a changing world. I'm saying we have new struggles when it comes to following God. And some of you are feeling it. And I'm saying that there is obviously, we know that, yes, there's struggles. There's also endless blessing. We just talked about three weeks of blessing. So that's not absent of blessing when it comes to our blessings in Christ. But there's also a struggle, isn't there? How many of you would agree there's a struggle? Yeah. And I believe God meets us in that space, by the way, between blessing and struggle. He meets people who choose the faithful road of following him. And, of course, all the beauty and wonder and majesty of that, but also the struggle and the cost of following him. That's often the meeting place of God, specifically in the struggle. And there's a passage that sort of sets us up for today that's sort of the key passage, 1 Peter 4 verse 12 through 14, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. And we're talking about a struggle, right? As though something strange were happening to you. Real quick, the message version of that particular verse says, Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't think that God has checked out on you. <laughs> Which I think is a really powerful, powerful way to say that. Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, well, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, does anyone feel the angst in that scripture? He is saying, listen, there is going to be a struggle. You don't be surprised when bad things happen. Don't jump to conclusion that maybe God has left just because all is not going right. In fact, that is the time to rejoice. That is the time you should celebrate and say, yay, God, for suffering. It's the best. Why does he say that? Why would we rejoice in suffering? He says rejoice because there is a greater glory coming. He says rejoice because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God will rest on you. Everyone say, he rests. Now say, on me. He rests on us. He meets us in our struggle. That's the meeting place. That's the meeting place between us and God. That's where his presence comes to rest on us. And so this is the message that I want to talk about today. And this is what I feel like, feel like God wants me to bring to us today. And I want to begin this series with. Is that, one, God wants to meet with you. 
there's a meeting place, and God wants to meet you in your struggle. And in that struggle, that's where God will rest on you. So I've titled today's message, God's Resting Place. You and me are actually God's resting place. And this is really good news. This is really powerful news. And really what we're talking about is when it says rest on me, he means he's talking about his spirit. So this is a message about the Holy Spirit. So where do we begin to talk about God? I believe we begin right here talking about the spirit of God that wants to rest on you in your struggle. So what do we know about God? Well, we know that he exists in a form of a trinity, right? We know that there's God in heaven known as God the Father. We know that there's God who was sent to earth known as Jesus the Son. And we know that there is God the Spirit who resides in us and has resided in his people in a special way since that moment in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came to reside with his people like he used to reside in the temple. But now he says, I'm going to reside in you. Now, why is that important? You ever heard the phrase, my body is my temple? Anybody? Yeah, my body is my temple. This is what like health freaks say about the, my body is my temple, so I don't eat Cheetos and Dr. Pepper, right? Because my body's my temple. Well, this actually is from the, from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says it this way. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you received from God? Perhaps we're saying it wrong, right? It's not my body is my temple, but my body is his temple. My body's his temple, right? Acts, let me, I just want to refresh this. Are you guys okay? We're, we're just going to get into the word a little bit. You guys good? Okay, just pulse check, just checking you out. Let me refresh you on what the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came to rest on us in a new way. I want to go back to Acts chapter 2. This is when he made us his temple. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together, they were together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest. Everyone say rest. rest. Came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So much is happening in this passage. This is one of those passages that's completely loaded like the Word of God, right? Something is going on in this moment. And here's what we got to know. This is the moment that the church was empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that God, in his form, in the Spirit, came and rested on each of them. This moment happened during a time of prayer, which is worthy of note. This moment also happened in a time of struggle, which is worthy of note. Jesus had been crucified. The disciples were hiding from the authorities of God, fearing for their lives. Simultaneously, in this moment, they are filled with the hope of the resurrection of Christ. They had seen Christ, Jesus himself, rise from the dead. They are feeling empowered while also feeling a struggle. Are you all with me? I don't know if you ever feel that. Empowered by God, struggle with God. They're in this moment, and in that space, God meets them. He comes to rest on them. Jesus crucified. I want you to imagine being in this moment. It's hard to imagine, but imagine being a disciple. Jesus is crucified. Your entire culture is in uproar about this man who claimed to be God that you now put your full faith in and believe that he's God, but you know that this is you leaving your family, you, le you leaving some of the traditions you've had for your entire life, then Jesus comes back to life after he's crucified by the very people that you call friends. Then he reveals himself. Jesus reveals himself to many believers, but not to everyone. So everybody's, not everyone's on the same page with you. And so this baby church, this new church, imagine being this new church. What do you do in that chaos? 
How do you know what to do? You know that they are asking God, what now, God? What now, Jesus? How do we do this? You with this you're going back to heaven and leaving us here to do it on our own? How many know the struggle is real? Look, look at your neighbor and say, the struggle is real. I mean, for real, this is that moment. This is that moment when God comes to rest on them. Then notice these last few words, the spirit enabled him in verse, in verse uh, 4. The end of verse 4 says, the spirit enabled them. You see that at the end of verse 4. It says, we just have to get asked, enable them for what? To do what? Well, I would say for what God wanted done. The spirit enabled them to deal with their struggle, but also God's always got greater purposes in mind. He's not only dealing with their struggle, meeting them in that moment, but he's doing something for a greater good, for a greater purpose. So what has God, God want done in this moment? Well, let's, let, let me give you just a little bit more context of the story. I'm going to go through it really quickly. But a few days prior to this moment when they received the Holy Spirit coming on them, Jesus had told them to go back to the city to pray and to wait on the Holy Spirit to come. So they're doing that. And as this was happening, it is going on during a festival called Pentecost. Pentecost is this major holiday on the Jewish calendar. And all sorts of Jewish people from not just Israel but from other nations would pilgrimage back into the city to celebrate and to worship God in this season. So there's people from everywhere. The city is full. Like all the hotels, all the Airbnbs, they're booked, right? This is an international event happening in the city. And God says, I think I have something to do today. I want to do something. And he enables the disciples to speak, it says, in other tongues, in other languages. They started speaking foreign languages to all these people in the city from foreign lands. God wanted this moment, and he gave them this temporary ability to do this, to speak in foreign languages. The city was full of people, like I say, from different countries, they, and they hear it in their language. And guess what? They get to go home and tell it in their language. You wonder how the gospel spreads. I've actually heard modern-day stories of this very thing, people being given a, a temporary ability to speak to people in other languages. In Acts 2, it says that 3,000 people, because of that enablement, came to know Christ that day. In Jerusalem. And the Spirit of God was being poured out. And God, the, and God <clears throat> he, he did something really supernatural in this moment. Through the Spirit, the church was born. The New Testament church, the reason we're sitting here, is actually connected to this moment. Because the gathering of the believers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this was sort of the final piece to making it go. To making it empowered that it would last more than just those people. So since that moment, God has continued to come upon people when they pray. He's continued to meet us in the space of struggle, continued to enable people to do the work that without God we'd be unable to do. So the journey from that moment to now, from Acts 2 to today, this is not some seamless moment where we've been, you know, perfect, uh, not only for ourselves but with God in the church. It's been a little bit bumpy, right? There's been a lot that's come along the way. So here's what I want to do. I want to take us through a journey, a journey through time, if you will. I want to, uh, I want to talk about, if we're going to start a series and we're going to call it a series about God and I'm going to say, hey, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I figured I'd just give you a little bit of the history of the Holy Spirit. Is that all right? Is that all right? Is it okay to just kind of do, we go to Bible class for like five minutes. We're going to go to church history class for five minutes. Are you guys good with that? You guys good with it? Okay, for those of you that aren't good with it, you just got detention, you have to come to the family meeting after class. <laughs> All right, 
So go, to, go right here. We're going to start. We're going to start from the Acts 2 moment. We'll just call that year zero, which, uh, you know, on the calendar, kind of close, close enough, right? So let's begin with the moment in Acts 2 when the church is born. And for the next 300 years, the church spreads like wildfire. It's crazy. It is the first worldwide revival for four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the letters that Paul wrote, all that stuff starts spreading throughout the church. People start reading the word of God. The New Testament basically comes into fruition. And in these years, the church is also persecuted. And in that persecution, it only makes them stronger. You could say it this way. In the struggle, God enabled them for more. By the year 300, 20 million followers of Jesus existed in the Roman Empire, which, by the way, that is about half of the Roman Empire. So we get to the year 312 and something historical happens. Constantine, the Roman emperor, makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Rome adopts Jesus. Rome says, we'll take Jesus, and here's the deal. If we can't beat him, we join him. That's what he says. They're, they're, they're taking over. It's like, oh, you joining the SEC. That's what's going on here. Right? The moment sets in motion the beginnings of the Roman Catholic Church. And this moment was about... This moment changed everything because something happened. It sets in motion not only the Roman Catholic Church, but persecution comes to a halt. Constantine says, hey, are you guys kind of done with the whole, like, you know, lines in the Colosseum killing Christians thing? And they're like, yeah, we'd totally love for that to be done. He's like, hey, let's just stop that. And so persecution stops. And, of course, this makes everyone's life a bit easier. Everybody's a, a bit happy about it. And that is a good thing. But simultaneously, the struggle, the struggle is lessening. And the dependency on God begins to fade. And something starts to change in the atmosphere. And revival, which was this subversive thing, this thing that was moving in a grass movement, it starts to change. And by the time we get to the year 500, for a thousand years, something happens. By the year 500, Christianity is no longer that subversive revival movement. It's undergone a religious and institutional evolution. God is now in the building. You get it? He is fully indoctrinated as the Roman Catholic Church. And in an unexpected move of, if you will, authoritative control, the Roman Catholic Church says that you aren't allowed to read the Bible outside of the building. In fact, the only people that can read the Bible are people who are qualified to read the Bible from a stage, and they're going to read it in the original language, which is, they think is Latin, which nobody even speaks Latin. So you can imagine going to church and me speaking Latin to you, and you're just watching me speak Latin. They don't understand it. And so the word of God gets hidden and goes dormant for a thousand years behind a language people don't even understand. They can no longer hear the gospel in their language. Can you imagine this? No one's reading the Bible. Perhaps this is very much why this is called the Dark Ages. Perhaps this is very much why this is called the Medieval Ages, right? It, it kind of makes sense. Perhaps this is why church kind of goes off the rails and perpetuates all sorts of atrocities like the Crusades, slavery, imperialism, among other things. Historically, the church is blamed for a lot of things that God had nothing to do with. People weren't even reading the Bible in this era. Why would they follow it? So the 1500s comes along. Everyone say 1500s. Good, you're with me. A group of monks, they're bored out of their mind. So they start taking Latin scriptures and translating them into modern languages. And they're just like, maybe this will help. Maybe this would be something that people would enjoy. God begins to move in these monks, most notably a guy named Martin Luther, the OG Martin Luther. And he translates the Bible into German. And then a guy named William Tyndale, he translates it into English. And Luther takes it up a notch, willing to face the fiery ordeal, right? And he nails his, 30, or his 95 thesis or reforms to the door of a, of a Catholic church. 
He didn't know that this would be an act of historical significance when he did it. He was simply experiencing a God that he felt like the rest of his church should experience too. And he believed people should read the Bible and hear the Bible in their own language. And this really does remind me of Acts 2, when people heard the gospel in their own language. He was releasing the thing that God enabled the church to do to, uh, 1,500 years earlier once again happens. And what happens is a reformation is born. Historically, we call this the Protestant Reformation, where the church reclaimed the word of God that had been dormant for nearly 1,000 years. People began to hear the good news of Jesus in their own language, and it changes everything. People begin to seek the Holy Spirit. And God is doing something new in the world. Something new begins to brim, or brim over, if you will, in the culture. To borrow a, a C.S. Lewis metaphor, Aslan was on the move. Right? God was on the move again. And then in the 1600s, the Reformation, it takes off. People begin reading the Bible, and in that reading, lots of, it leads to a lot of things. Mostly revival. God is doing all sorts of things in that century, leading us, really, to the 1700s. Because in that century, the 1600s, churches, new churches, non-Catholic churches, and there's nothing wrong with Catholicism today, but this is, I'm talking about back then. Non-Catholic churches, Protestant churches, began to, to take off. In the 1700s, during that century, was, was the historically significant Methodist revival led by John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. It swept throughout Europe. And, and, and then... The first great awakening, yeah, the first great awakening was right here in our country. I just thought of this, <laughs> I have the American flag up there. But it was in the, in the 1730s is when the great awakening started. We didn't become the U.S. until the 1776, so that's, that's a little inaccurate, my bad. Um, we were still eating fish, we were like fish and chips and bangers and mash was still our thing. You know, we were queuing and queuing for the loo. <laughs> Instead of waiting in line for the bathroom. Um, anyway, all that, all let's say we were still Brits. So let's, let's go to the next century when we, America, right? America comes, revivals all over the rest of Western world. Second and third great awakenings happening here in America. And, and, and that's happening with people like Charles Finney and, and people like D.L. Moody and William Booth and Charles Spurgeon, maybe names you've heard before. Then we get to the 1900s. The 1900s, not all that long ago, and the Pentecostal revivals take off. We see the Azusa Street Revival in, in Los Angeles. We see the Welsh Revival happening in Wales. We see all sorts of revivals around the, in, through China, Africa, South America. And, of course, we see the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s, and that was a big deal. And, <coughs> and, and here's the thing. When, when, when it moved into China, wasn't there a struggle, right? There was a huge struggle. But millions of, of people became followers of Jesus. There was a huge struggle in the revivals that happened through South America, South America and Africa, all happening in the last century. So, and then we get to the 2000s, and, and we're starting to see what I would call the, the, the worship revival of this generation. And, and he is on the move, and I believe he's just getting started in this, in this century. And the revival of the church, though, if you go all the way back to the 15 and 1600s, it began with what? It began with, with people reading the word of God again. It began with people reading the word of God. It began discovering who God was through his word. And there is a supernatural connection between his word and his spirit. It's why we always say, hey, we need to stand on the two legs of word and spirit in this church. We can't be all about the word. We can't be all about spirit. We've got to be about both because there is a connection where the word reveals the spirit and the spirit brings truth to the word. And so we have to be word and spirit people. We, 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 we saw something happen historically here. And I tell you all this because we joined the ranks of the struggle for those who follow God. And we can learn from history that God meets us in struggle, that his resting place is his people.
But there's a warning in this too. If, if, if we don't meet God in the struggle, we often, we often look for something that's much easier. So we'll minimize and we'll even abandon God. And, and this has happened throughout history as well. Often in life we look for the easier way, don't we? We often tend to choose the way of convenience and comfort. I don't know about you, but I love convenience and comfort. I mean, who doesn't, right? Everyone loves it. I, you know, when I was writing this message the other day, I wrote part of it in a coffee shop. And I chose a coffee shop because it was convenient and comfortable. You know, I went to a coffee shop because I didn't want to make coffee. Right? Like, I will pay for convenience and comfort in the form of $6 that I drink in some sort of oat milk latte, right? But what if I walked in and I was like, hey, uh, I would like an, a vanilla oat milk latte. And they're like, great, $6. Now come on back here and we'll help you make it. I, no thanks. <laughs> right? I want this to be convenient. And I don't want the discomfort of walking back there with you. <laughs> so comfort, ease. We're all for it. Like we love comfort. Convenience and ease, yet faith is often inconvenient, uncomfortable, and it's a life of sacrifice. There is a struggle embedded within what it means to be the people of God. It makes me think of 1 Corinthians 9, this amazing little moment where Paul describes what it means to chase after God with your whole heart, and he uses the imagery of athletes, and I love this. He says, do you not know that... That in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's like, listen, if you're going to run, you better run like you mean it. Don't look for the easy way, the comfortable way. Run like you want to win. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. They're doing it for things that are, that are, that are not that meaningful, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is actually, this is the real game, the eternal game. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I'm not running without purpose. I'm not just, you know, spending energy. He says, no, I, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. Like, I'm not, I'm not swinging at nothing. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave. He says, I discipline myself. I put myself into the process of what it means to enter into the struggle of becoming everything God has created me to be. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is like, if you're going to do it, do it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's a good one. When Christianity was normalized in the Roman Empire, Constantine said, let's make this easier on everyone, easier on me. He's like, do you know the overhead of running the Colosseum and killing Christians? It's a lot. He's like, let's make it easier on me, easier on you. Everybody's like, oh, Constantine became a Christian. No, I think he just did the easy thing. Christians were like rising up in his nation. He's like, ah, this is a big headache. Let's just, yay, Jesus. He's like, listen, do you guys want this to make this easier? And everybody's like, yes, let's make it easier. And Christian's like, please. He's, and he's like, all right, Christianity's legal. And everybody's like, yes, that's dope. Christianity's legal. This is better. Then he said, in fact, how about I make it even easier? He said, uh, you know. I'll hire some people to be really religious. We'll call them like, I don't know, bishops. We can even have an archbishop. I like redbirds, so we can call some cardinals. I'll get some tall pointy hats put on them. It'll make them look really official. 
We'll have one guy, we'll call him the Pope, we'll put him in charge of everything so you don't have to be in charge of anything. I'm exaggerating a bit, but Constantine didn't do that, but he put the wheels in motion of this, of this sort of faith where the gospel was given away. It was institutionalized. It was, it was for the govern, government to parcel out and control and tell us when we could read and when we couldn't. And the people lost their meeting place with God. They left the struggle and they lost, lost the meeting place. I, I want to make sure you catch that because I feel like this is, this is so relevant to our world today. They left the struggle and lost the meeting place. If all we want to do is just keep chasing after an easier way to follow God, an easier way to feel more comfortable in our churches and more to consume for ourselves, if, if that's all this is, we will lose the meeting place with God. And the resting, the temple that we're supposed to be will be empty because he'll go rest on those people who are willing to go run after the race like they mean it. They left the struggle. They lost the meeting place. There is a biblical, there's something biblical about the weight of our faith. There's something biblical about the weight of the word God. If you claim them, you're going to feel it. And that's okay. You don't have to fight that. You don't have to, you don't have to dismiss that. You don't have to kind of ease yourself of that. Does that mean, what about when Jesus says, I've come to make, you know, take all the weight off you, you know, those who are weary. He wants to give us rest. By the way, isn't it interesting? He's like, hey, come on, I'll give you rest. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to come and rest on you. What's, maybe, maybe Jesus is like, listen, if you're weary, if you're heavy burdened by the things of this world, hey, guess what? I have some rest for you that's even better. I'm going to give you my presence. It's going to rest on you, and, and life's going to feel different. First Peter 4 again, again, key passage. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, well, then you're blessed. For the spirit of the glory and the spirit of God rests on you. So my question today is, what is your struggle? Because God will meet you there. He will come and he will rest on you. So 30, almost 30 years later from my conversation with my friend, if someone asked me today, hey, Tim, tell me about God. I'm sure I'd say, hey, I can't, I can't tell you about God in one conversation. But the first thing I know is that God wants to meet with you. What do I know about God? God wants to meet with you. And, and he, he has created ways to make that happen. And one of, the, one of the best ways, one of the best places, the meeting place with God, is he will meet you in your struggle. So what is your struggle? What is your pain? For those of you who follow God, what is hard about it? That's where he wants to meet you. He says, I want to know your suffering. God's spirit wants to meet you there. What can we learn from history? Well, we can learn from the early church, the first church that God came and rested on in prayer. And so there's prayer. We can learn from the, the church, the reformed church, that God rested on them, came back to them through the reading of his word. We can, we can learn from the revival church that God's power came through them as they sought him more and trusted in him more. And so here's what we can learn. We need to read the Bible. We need to pray and we need to seek the power of God. Can I say it again? We need to read the Bible. We need to pray and we need to seek 
the power of God. We need to, that's, it's, it's like put that on repeat, just live that, read the Bible, pray, seek the power of God, that God in that space, that's where he rests on us. He's like, bring your struggles, read the word of God, pray, seek my power. I will enable you for more. By his spirit, we are given the manifestation of the gifts of his power. By his spirit, we get to see the miraculous, the things that we could never see without him. We can, he, we can see him heal and raise up and cast out. We can see him do breakthrough in our lives. So I want to open up a time of prayer and a ministry in response today. And, and I want to invite you to come and to meet with God, to invite him to come and rest on you. Remember, you are his temple. The Holy Spirit resides in you. So I want to, I want to create space today. In fact, why don't we stand together as, I, as I'm about to lead us in prayer. I'm going to pray over us and then open a time of response during some song. This altar be open. Our prayer team will be here. And, and our prayer team is going to specifically just pray over you if you want that. But here's what, I, here's what I know today. Maybe you're in a space. You're in a space in which you're, you're sort of feeling in your heart within you like God's saying, you need to say yes to me. Before any of this happens, like you need to say yes to me. And, and back to what I said at the very beginning, there's like a conviction that the Holy Spirit does where he's drawing us to himself. And that's, that's how the Spirit initiates himself with us. And if that's where you're at and you just say, I, I just need salvation today. I need, I need to come into a relationship with God. We're here to pray with you. We'd love to pray that over you. And we'd love to help you with that. So you can come forward during prayer. For those of you though that you're, you're like, I, I feel like I just need a refreshing of the Spirit. You know, oftentimes when I pray with people, I'll say, hey, Lord, would you just fill them up from the bottom of their feet to the top of their head and overflow out of them? Because here's what I know is that the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that is biblical and it's, and it's in the scriptures. where we, we see time and time again that the people of God are being filled with the Spirit. And here's what I know is that we leak. And so we need to be refilled. We need to, be, we need to ask the Spirit to come again. And so if you need that today, our, our prayer team's ready to just pray the Holy Spirit to just fill you up. And, at, and if you do that, just be paying attention. What's the Spirit going to do? Because every time the Spirit comes in us, like he starts to reveal things to us. And so I would encourage you. I would encourage you to come and, and receive the, the ministry of prayer today. Receive the, receive the opportunity to say, Lord, I want you to come and rest on me. Would you just close your eyes? Father, we just pray right now that as we invite your Holy Spirit to come, that this would be a time of filling. This would be a time of refreshing. This would be a time of your Spirit coming to rest on your people. Holy Spirit, we don't, we don't ask for this for for just the chill bumps and the feels. We ask for this, Father, because we want to be your people who just like Paul, Paul said, that are running after you with all we got, that we aren't playing it safe, we aren't doing it easy, we aren't doing it comfortable, we aren't trying to make it easy on ourselves, but that, Father, we are joining the ranks of those who have been in the struggle with you, not because it's hard, but because it's worth it. And so, Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that people right now would experience an encounter with you. We just pray a space of encounter right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come? pray this in your name. Amen. Psalter's open. Please come. Please invite the Holy Spirit right now to come upon you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.